Hello and welcome to the third episode of Establish Your First Line of Defence, an HP Wolf Security and Computer World podcast series. In this series, we're examining how IT security chiefs can arm themselves against the relentless wave of cybercrime crashing into firewalls across the world. Cybercriminals are becoming ever more inventive in their methods, while remote working, IoT and the migration to the cloud have massively increased the points of attack. But don't despair, help is at hand. In this last episode, we're hearing from two experts in their field to get their take on where the cybersecurity industry stands at the moment and where it needs to be in the future. Hi, my name is Siobhan Albright. I'm the Chief Technologist for Print Security at HP. I've been in cybersecurity for over two decades. Yeah, my name's John Dunn. I'm a cybersecurity journalist. I've specialized in this field since the early 2000s, quite deliberately. And I've written about this in detail numerous times. First up, we've touched on the concept of zero trust in the earlier episodes, but we're going to take a close look at it here. The term was first coined by Forrester analyst John Kindervag and is based on the idea that every user, device and connection is potentially risky and shouldn't be trusted until it's been checked. John Dunn says the idea of zero trust as an underlying philosophy for security systems has been adopted by a growing number of businesses, and it all starts with legacy. We talk about the tension between cybersecurity teams trying to manage end users sitting at home by the thousand. But here's the thing, almost every one of those individuals will be connecting through some kind of VPN. I mean, that's a technology that's more than 20 years old. It was never designed to secure and support a large portion of the workforce. The other one is the password and the username. I mean, that design predates the personal computer. These technologies are decades old and security teams don't have the tools they need to actually monitor or secure these home users or any user, arguably. It predates cybercrime in its modern industrial form by decades. It's just obsolete. Even more recent technologies, we talk about authentication, well, you can back up passwords with authentication, but they're very, very complex. I mean, which type of authentication? I mean, there are a dozen at least, and they are quite complex. And you find that many companies, they use multiple different types of authentication, and that just creates more complexity. So you have another problem, you know, the sticking plaster for passwords and usernames in the VPN is supposed to be better authentication, but that's not an easy or mature technology. It's still evolving. What I'm hearing when I talk to IT managers, one of the ways they're coping with the lack of tools and a difficult use case of having people at home is that they are imposing more controls. They're imposing stricter policies. They're saying, look, if you take this device home and you misbehave or you give it to somebody, you'll be on a written warning. Now, that these are people that I've spoken to in the financial services sector, and they're quite heavyweight. But it seems to me that that's probably the thin end of the wedge. That's how they're going to deal with this problem, impose a kind of best fit zero trust, which is basically about telling people they can and can't do certain things on pain of getting fired. And we're already seeing a bit of that. HP's Siobhan Albright. Multi-factor authentication is going to be uh, critical moving into the work from home model as well as moving into a zero trust model. 
And it's going to be critical not only to authenticate it at the beginning of you know, a potential transaction or access to data, but ongoing, making sure that you are who you claim to be is going to be critical. Yeah, I was going to add, I think that obviously multi-factor authentication of some kind is, is, well, it's already here. Leaving aside its complexity, I think the problem is when you ally authentication with a zero trust model, potentially be careful what you wish for. It's not just about devices and users and applications authenticating. I mean, in theory, in a zero trust model, nothing trusts anything. Everything has to authenticate itself. And even within individual devices, zero trust down the line, I see the start of different layers of, of security within a PC or within a device having to authenticate to each other. This is actually a much more complex problem when you ally it to zero trust than it might at first appear. It's not just about users having some way of, you know, an extra factor to log onto a network. It's about a web of trust and how you build that between people and networks, between people and applications, between applications and people and devices, but also between the individual software components in, that hold all that together. Everything has to authenticate. And I think that's the bit we don't yet have. Yeah, John, I completely agree. I mean, there's a lot of buzz going around about zero trust and its security models are going to have to move to zero trust. Many of them already are. Many companies are already doing this. And zero trust is a set of principles and a model to follow based on the fact that you trust nothing, right? And you talked about that web of authentication. It's authenticating devices, that's authenticating users. So you need to trust nothing and always verify can no longer rely on the perimeter as a way to protect the devices in a corporation. Um, and the work from home model, as well as cloud-based computing, you know, makes that even more evident. And those concepts of zero trust, you know, least privilege model, so access control on a need-to-know basis, you should only have access to the data that you're required to for your job, and you should be multi-factor authenticating each time you're going to access that data because you don't know who's walking up and potentially using that PC, right? In the case of the printer, it takes it upon itself to verify all workflow activity is authenticated. When you walk up to the device before you can pull a print job, you authenticate your device yourself, you authenticate yourself, and then when you go to use and scan, you're authenticating yourself as well. And HP uses this fine-grained approach where we design security into the hardware and the firmware and we use this least privilege model and continual integrity validation as well. Our HP devices allow your employees to work without fear because what we do is we build uh, strong authentication mechanisms into our devices, into our PCs and our printers, but we have what we call resiliency where we protect the device to the degree that we can and recognizing that we can't protect against everything because with enough time and effort, these bad guys will figure out a way to get in. We have to have detection capabilities. And this is really important. You have to be able to detect when anomalous behavior is happening on the device because it may not be monitored at that particular point in time. And when you detect any type of anomalous behavior on the device, you need to be able to reboot that flush memory of that malware and come back into a safe and secure state prior to the malware attack. So it's about continually monitoring inside the device for potential security events. Endpoint security needs to seek out the malware, detect it, and once it finds it, flush it out of memory. Printers, like all IoT devices, are proving to be profitable targets for cybercriminals. According to a report cited by Koopinger Cole for HP Wolf Security's Blurred Lines and Blindspots report, 
56% of printers are accessible via often used open printer ports that could be hacked. So how can these devices be protected? Siobhan Albright. I believe that many companies don't fully grasp the threat of any insecure IoT um, device on their network. And, you know, printers historically are probably one of the most common IoTs used. And so we first need to establish that printers can pose a critical security challenge for, you know, workers in the office as well as workers at home. And the challenge is that these seemingly harmless, you know, printers Hackers can steal information. Any information flowing through the device can be accessed through the printer. And a lot of times, you know, work from home employees are printing confidential information on these printers. Once an attacker successfully compromises a printer, they can remain dormant as long as they want, right? And then they can, you know, move laterally through the network potentially gaining elevated privileges or, you know, stealing and exfiltrating critical data or worse, even crippling with um, ransomware. There was an example in August of 2019 with a headline that Microsoft had caught Russian state hackers using IoT devices to breach networks. Now, they had used at-risk IoT devices within the corporate network, okay? So this wasn't even in the home. This was in the corporate network. They discovered a voice over IP phone and an office printer were communicating with servers belonging to a Russian government hacking group known as Fancy Bear. And there were two ways that this attack occurred. One is the passwords for the devices were either not set, they were blank or easily guessable. And the other way was that the device was running old firmware on and had known vulnerabilities on it. And we're continually encouraging our customers, make sure any IoT devices you, you have on your network, printers included, make sure you're running the latest firmware because with attacks occurring in the industry, we really are continually rolling our firmware for issues that may be found on devices. And the HP Wolf Security uh, report highlights that 45% of the companies surveyed have seen evidence of compromised printers being used as an attack point in the past year. And Recently, we saw an article on Wired uh, about zero-day attacks, and you know, zero days are essentially new unknown vulnerabilities that are being actively exploited. But in the early days of um, cybersecurity, this would have been in probably the mid-2000s, nation states were paying hackers to find vulnerabilities that could be used for cyber espionage, right? So there was one zero day in, in our HP printers back in the early 2000s that had been used to exploit government agencies all over the world. And this allowed the spies to capture any files that passed through the printer. And it gave them a beachhead where IT administrators least suspect. They weren't monitoring these printers back then, right? You know, these are examples that highlight the risk of printers in corporate environments, as well as any IoT device and this will be compounded by this work from home models. So as security teams adapt to the hybrid workplace, they really need to seek out new levels for endpoint protection as well, both outside of the corporate network and inside the corporate network. Yeah, I would add to, to, to what Siobhan says that, I mean, for me, looking back, I can see now that, you know, printers have been around, the laser printer was invented, what, 50 years ago. Um, and you know the, the 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 laser jet, the HP laser jet's been around since the '80s. What we didn't know then was that the printer, or, or specifically the network printer, which came along slightly later in the '90s, was actually the beginning of IoT. And really, from the very beginning, printers have just been totally ignored 
Nobody understands them. I mean, if you talk to any technical person, I guarantee the one thing that they, they, they'll, they'll draw a blank on is, is printers. Despite the fact they're fully functioning computers with a lot of connectivity and interfaces. And I think one of the fascinating things about them is I think one of the reasons people don't still don't pay attention to printers is that we haven't seen that many mass attacks involving printers. And one of the reasons we have, I mean, apart from a few nuisance attacks where people get printers to print out sort of stupid things, it's sort of a bit of a joke. The interesting issue is that how would any of these companies know that their printers have been attacked? They're IoT devices. They don't run any security clients. And when you look into or when you get details of the sort of forensic investigations that are done into big cyber attacks, I guarantee you in, in there somewhere, there'll be a printer will have been part of that. So what's different about the way HP Wolf tackles these new security threats? So HP's approach to these security threats is that we have rooted in zero trust principles. Our approach is that we develop with layers of security defenses in our both our PCs and, and our printers. We try to um, enforce at the hardware level these types of protections with industry-leading security endpoint services as well. Um, endpoint security is more vital than ever as the first line of defense. And we have to have a defense in-depth approach to protecting against these attacks. It's about layers of security and not just relying on any one single layer. The analogy that I use is it's like a castle, right? It's not just the moat and the outer wall that protects it, but it also there are also detection capabilities in, in the medieval times. It's the turrets, the towers, and the lookout points looking for those oncoming attackers, and then the weapons to ward them off. And with, at HP, we develop technologies that not only protect the devices, but what we have are detection capabilities. So the ability to, we scan memory to looking for anomalous behavior that may be indicative of a potential malware attack. Ongoing, we're also looking at outgoing packets from the device. Being an embedded device, we can monitor the outgoing packets and we're looking for any types of anomalies that could be indicative of a potential breach. And we have what we call SureStart, which is to protect the BIOS. That's the first thing that loads on the device when it comes up. And we ensure that that cannot be compromised because if someone compromises the BIOS, it's very difficult to detect it. And they essentially own the device at that point. And so we've created this self-healing firmware as well as uh, in-memory breach protection. And so HP Wolf Security reduces that device attack surface and also offers this self-recovery component to it as well. One thing that really jumped out at me um, when I was looking at HP Wolf is that I think it is actually a rational implementation of zero trust. But it's very interesting because, you know, over the last 10 years, 15 years maybe, we've seen people sort of realizing that the PC itself has many layers to it. And they're all vulnerable in different ways. You know, the, the data inside the PC, the applications, uh, the different layers of, of, of firmware and hardware and software and what's below the operating system and what the operating system can see. So we have trusted platform modules to protect cryptographic keys. They also perform verified boot to try and stop uh, rootkits. Well, that's great, but I think the problem is it kind of stopped with that. I mean, the new, the new vulnerability is firmware. It's definitely an issue because there are multiple layers of firmware inside most PCs, not just the UFI BIOS, 
but uh, you've got firmware on the hard drives. In fact, all the major components, graphics cards. And we know the proof of concept of this is that nation states, specifically the US, have tried to target these in very, very arcane and unusual attacks. But where they go, where nation states go, commercial hackers will follow. And, and there is certainly at least one, if not two, types of ransomware that targets or is experimentally targeting firmware. HP Wolf looks to me like the first example I've seen from a PC vendor that's trying to accept this reality and say, actually, the PC itself, it's not about trusting the PC. How does the PC trust itself? How does the operating system really know what's going on below in these different components? And how does it monitor them? And actually, today, the answer is it doesn't. We just take it on trust. We have uh, endpoint security software, and we hope that that goes low level enough. And often, I would argue, it doesn't. I think if you divide the PC into layers, as HP Wolf Security has done, I think that is an inevitable development, not just inside PCs, but inside everything. It's not invulnerable. Attackers will still try and find ways of tunneling through these layers, but it makes it a lot harder for them because right now it's not hard at all. To implement zero trust, it has to be granular. And that means basically breaking certainly major devices like PCs, but ultimately all devices down into layers that you can monitor. So it's not about moving laterally in a network. It's about that the attackers first have to move laterally inside the device and the software running on it. And that's upping the ante. That's an order of magnitude harder. If you can make that architecture work, that would be a major development. There's a lot for embattled CSOs and CISOs to think about. Their IT systems are under attack on a growing number of fronts. It does feel like a war, but who's winning? John Dunn. This is really about crime. Crime has always been there. It always will be. Maybe it's there to keep everybody who's not a criminal honest. It's just the entropy in the system, the stress we all strive against. So you need to keep it in equilibrium. You need to keep it down and contain it. The bigger question when you start talking about a war is who exactly are the protagonists in this war? It's often talked about as enterprises or sometimes individuals and cyber criminals, but we know that nation states are now cyber criminals. And that's a different kind of war you're fighting there. And that also means you've now got to think about what you're doing if you're an enterprise, not just in terms of the people out there that are trying to attack you, but you've got the government on your back. It's a war where you're sort of surrounded by people and none of them are ever going to be happy at the same time. Are cyber criminals winning the war? It's definitely an arms race. I, I think we're seeing cyber criminals becoming more sophisticated more organized and determined than ever, you know, in increasingly exploiting vulnerabilities in the changing workplace with the work from home and then targeting the increased number of endpoints and IoT devices. And, you know, this is where you need to ensure that you're protecting your endpoints, buying endpoints that can have this layered defense in depth, right? At HP, we do this with our PCs and our printers. We don't rely on any single approach to protect the endpoint. And we're continually looking to advance our security offering on our devices, as well as tools for monitoring these devices as well. In fact, HP is one of the few companies that has a research arm with HP Labs. We have a, a malware lab in Bristol that studies the behavior and methods of malware. And this is how our lab came up with uh, network anomaly detection. We have this technology on our printers. It's called Connection Inspector. And what's interesting is this researcher 
that was examining malware and the behavior. And he found that basically what malware typically does when it attacks a device, it will call its command and control center, its phone's home to say, what are my next set of instructions? And when this happens, our printers being a closed system, will see a spike in DNS packets as the malware tries to phone home. And when this happens, we reboot the device and flush memory. So it's these types of detection capabilities that are important. In addition to HP Labs, we also look and evaluate the latest technology in the industry. You know, that we look at what other third parties are offering. We also need to make sure that we're utilizing the same tools that our hackers are using to identify potential vulnerabilities before the bad guys find them, right? Um, we have a bug bounty program at HP, and we use this to harden our devices and reduce vulnerabilities. A bug bounty program is where you're paying ethical hackers to find vulnerabilities in your product, so it gives you a chance to fix them before the bad guys do. And it, allow, it also allows HP to get access to ethical hackers with skills that are sometimes hard to hire. Uh, what we found is the effectiveness of penetration testing is highly dependent on the skills of those testers. And the bug bounty program allows HP to gain these expert testing skills worldwide and then continually harden our devices against these types of attacks. But even despite the best efforts, overstretched IT and security teams are struggling to keep up, right? And this is where endpoint security is really more vital than ever as the first line of defense. Endpoint security needs to be able to detect that malware that's um, affecting the device or compromising that device. As the cybersecurity world is constantly transforming and evolving, so must corporate policies and, and infosec security experts need to evolve with tools as well, advance to the latest tools, because a more digital world doesn't have to be a more vulnerable world, right? We can stay ahead of those hackers. And, you know, for HP Wolf Security, it's with this, you know, continual investment in cutting edge technology and research that we strive to help our customers stay ahead of these evolving threats. Well, that's all for this episode and indeed this series of Establish Your First Line of Defense, brought to you by HP Wolf Security in association with Computer World. For more information, go to hpwolfsecurity.computerworld.com slash UK. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>